Welcome to PwC's Tax Reform Readiness Podcast Series. This podcast is an excerpt from PwC's Tax Reform Readiness Webcast Series, held on July 25, 2018, discussing state and local tax compliance considerations in a post-tax reform world. The panelists for the webcast were Eric Burkheiser, a PwC tax partner and our income franchise tax leader, Tim Lapatina, a PwC tax partner specializing in tax reporting and strategy, Sarah Massimino, a PwC tax partner focusing on state and local tax issues, and Kim Kruger, a PwC tax director also focusing on state and local tax issues. This excerpt consists of a general discussion among the panelists about 2017 state tax compliance considerations in light of U.S. federal tax reform. Have a listen. So Sarah, could you take us or walk us through some of the 2017 uh, state tax compliance considerations? Sure. Thanks, Eric. Um, So what I wanted to talk about is is we're all thinking about how we're going to get this toll charge income on the tax returns for 2017. We're here coming up on the end of July. And uh, I know a lot of taxpayers now are working on their federal returns, thinking about how this is going to transition to the state uh, tax returns. And many questions are coming up with, with where do I report this? Um, as Tim mentioned, with the federal transition statement out there that's a separate piece of paper and not flowing to line 28 or line 30 or federal taxable income for federal purposes, I don't have the 965 toll charge income in my starting point for state. So as, as both Tim and uh, Kim mentioned, you know, typically we look to line 28 and line 30 as our starting point. Um, when I think about the mechanics of a state tax return. And so since that's not going to be there and it's going to be on this transition statement, you know, we're looking for guidance from the states that talk about where you should be reporting this income uh, for state purposes, regardless of whether or not you get a DRD or not. And so of the guidance that's coming out for the non-conforming states, right, we don't really have a problem. We can start with our, our federal tax return that will not have that in there. So that makes things pretty easy there. For our conforming states, um, some of the guidance that we have uh, seen uh, mainly so far comes in the way of addition modification. And um, so states are going to be looking for that 965 income to come through as an addition modification. One state we've seen today, Colorado, actually says that they want to see that coming through on their line one starting point. So that brings about challenges in figuring out, should we be thinking about a separate federal pro forma uh, to to get the line one in that uh, starting point, or do I need to make a separate uh, modification on my Colorado return with perhaps a statement attached, uh, tying back to how I get to that starting point? So those are things that we'll have to think about, and then what does that mean if I have an e-file state? Um, Will that pose any issues for me to get that e-filed if I don't tie exactly to my federal return. So those are things that we're still wrestling with and looking for guidance from the states. Uh, Connecticut, as an example, uh, brings through a modification and they've actually uh, told you exactly where they'd like to see that on Schedule D, Line 9, Other Income. Um, Tennessee has come out with their administrative guidance and says, just don't even put it on the tax return at all. We're going to give you that DRD, so they would just rather not see it on the tax return. Um, so you know, you're going to have varying guidance and there's still a number of states that have not issued any guidance on that reporting. So 
you know, as we start to get uh, closer to the filing season and the state return due dates, hopefully we'll see more come out from the states. If we think about the dividends received deduction that may apply to the 965, um, you know, again, that varies just as much um, as, the, as the inclusion amount. Alabama's a good example that they've given out uh, guidance. They actually want you to prepare a separate statement uh, that indicates what your DRD is and how that gets applied to your uh, tax return. Um, you know, other, other states, again, have not issued guidance just yet. What you see here is just a cut and paste from the Connecticut tax return and pointing to where uh, on the schedule they're actually looking for your dividend deduction. So they have actually been um, a little bit more proactive than certain states and giving you great examples of where to put, put these amounts here. Um, so that's very helpful and you can see as the 5% expense uh, disallowance that Kim talked about, um, they're telling you exactly where they'd like to see see that on the Connecticut tax return. As we move into some of the other items that uh, Kim walked us through, so talking about the, the, the expense disallowance, we just walked through the Connecticut example. Um, you know, Illinois, uh, and, sorry, in terms of documentation then, Illinois actually has a very unique way to deal with the uh, 965 in the transition tax statement they would like you to email them uh, to a specific state address uh, the transition tax statement so they can tie back to exactly what you've reported for federal tax purposes. So again, unique, it's the only state I've seen so far with a, a separate email uh, specific to this. Uh, while Colorado has requested that you attach the transition tax statement to your e-file submission. So again, if we start to think about um, you know, the e-filings and the different ways that the states are going to want this. This is be an exercise of understanding the, the various nuances on how the states are going to uh, request that you report this. Um, many states, again, are silent and have not provided guidance uh, to date on how you should report this. Um, if we speak about some of the other things that we would want to get in, uh, into from a state perspective is since we don't have the 965 income that's included in our federal taxable income starting point, it raises questions around certain limitations for a federal, from a federal perspective that are based on taxable income. So as an example, charitable contributions. There's a limitation there based on your federal taxable income. For a, uh, you know, a, a state that doesn't um, for, so for when we look at the federal taxable income, do we have issues where we may have to look at whether or not my charitable contributions limitation changes? Um, so those are some of the things that you know, we're thinking about and uh, whether or not our federal taxable income starting point could be different. Uh, full expensing. So we've been in a world of bonus depreciation for a number of years and you know everybody's pretty familiar with the decoupling states and the modifications that we now have to make to our, our depreciation, whether that be the 50% or 100%. Now we have a whole new tranche of assets under full expensing, some of those in the 2017 year. So this is just something to be conscious of and be thinking about that there may now have a need for multiple calculations and tracking schedules for the various tranches of bonus and full expensing. 
Um, in addition, as you think about going forward from a full expensing standpoint, um, a new tranche of assets where you're not going to be tracking for federal purposes that you may have now state-only tracking. So again, it's just the administrative um, issues that you'll need to think about that really rise when we're thinking about the tax returns and the compliance associated with that and the various ways that the state is going to or not going to pick up the full expensing and bonus depreciation amounts. If we, if we think about net operating losses, um, what really comes to mind here is states that utilize the federal NOL. Um, if we think about a New Jersey as an example, and this is a, a cut and paste of their tax return, you would utilize your NOL prior to any dividend exclusion that you would get in the state. Um, so you're going to have uh, a little bit of leakage in terms of using up a federal NOL before you get that DRD. And the reason we point this out is just to think about as the, as the NOL rules change on a go-forward basis, how that impacts your carry-forward periods and limitations. And then specifically on New Jersey, because they just issued the new legislation, we're gonna convert that federal NOL to a post-apportion NOL. We gotta make sure that we understand what that conversion is gonna look like in New Jersey. If, and that just happens to be the example that we used. Um, so this is something, you know, taxpayers should be thinking about. There's a handful of states that use federal NOLs. Um, they all do apply them differently when it comes to dividends. Um, so be thinking about those because the numbers are big um, and it could have a significant impact to the NOLs that you currently have on your books and that you are projecting in terms of utilization on a go-forward basis. Hey, Sarah, so you, you talked about uh, you know, the compliance considerations at a deeper dive than Kim went into. So what about the states that haven't, there's a whole bunch of states, as you said, that haven't issued any guidance, right, with respect to the reporting of the toll charge on their return. So, you know, people that are sitting at their desks right now watching this, like, okay, well, what, what else you got? Um, you know, how is that going to help me get my compliance done here? So what, what advice or what, what should they be thinking about when they have to deal with this on their state returns right now? Well, I could give the typical state answer. It depends. Um, but I think right now, as we start to think about compliance, we have a group of states where they've given us some level of guidance. And it's, you know, across the board different, right? Sometimes we just leave it off completely. If you're Tennessee, if you're Colorado, they say, no, we want it in our starting point. And then I would say the majority of the states are doing it via some sort of modification. Um, what I would tell you is I don't know that we know that there's a right answer for everybody else who's not given guidance. But I think what's important is to probably pick, come up with a methodology mm -hmm. and stay consistent with those states that haven't issued guidance so that when it comes time to you know, if you're under audit or a state issues a notice or they ask a question or, you know, somebody within the department asks a question, you, you've established a consistent methodology based on the lack of guidance that exists today. Um, and that may be different for each company. Some companies may feel more comfortable putting it in a starting point in developing different federal pro formas to accomplish that, where others may feel more comfortable putting it in a modification, whether that be, you know, other income or some other, other line. Um, I think it's just important to stay consistent with it right. so you understand where you've put this income so it's easily available to you. Um, 
and change course, you know, be prepared to change course as states issue guidance because it's, you know, I would say uh, perhaps likely or not surprising that states will be issuing a flurry of guidance on that as it gets closer to the to the deadlines. Yeah. And yeah. it certainly seems as if the guidance in some cases changes. So Michigan came out with something earlier on and then they amended the guidance later. So certainly need to keep track of those yeah. changes as they come out. Yeah, and I think we can expect that we're probably not going to see much in the way of forms changing, um, just because the states really haven't had time to deal with it. So, you know, scouring the administrative guidance um, that may come out is probably the best course of action. Yeah, trying to shoehorn this adjustment in wherever we can make it and clear and be able to clear all your e-file diagnostics is, <laughs> yeah, is, you know, if not more important. So, right. Uh, that's probably partially what people are thinking too in terms of where they you know jam this this item into their state returns so. yeah and that's definitely something that we have thought about as well is you know what is the right way to do this that's not going to cause a flurry of e-file issues or rejections yeah. um, as well as you know maybe you get those e-files in and because it's not you know on a line that specifically says 965 or toll charge you know does the system, reject it or issue a notice um, because it's not the right type of income that the system, you know, is expecting. Because right. uh, I think it's going to take a while for the state to update things. Another interesting complexity, right, is the fact that states vary in terms of the composition of their combined group. And in some cases, right, states uh, impose tax on a separate company basis. One question is, to the extent you have 80-20 companies for state purposes that are excluded from the group, would you have to kind of recompute your transition tax statement based on that particular mm -hmm. combined group? Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I would agree with that. I mean, that's definitely a complexity in terms of what is the proper amount of 965 income to start with, and then, yeah, how do you get that on a form, and how does that tie back into your transition statement, which probably would require a separate statement you know, outlining that for a particular state to kind of tie things back to them. So I think the more we talk, the more complexities pop out. Yeah, yeah, good, good, good dialogue, good discussion. Hopefully that's helpful to the audience. Thank you for listening to this podcast. If you would like more information about this topic, please email the participants. Their email addresses can be found in the description of this episode. Thank you. Mm -hmm.